Welcome to Huntersville Lutheran Sermon Webcast. We invite you to join us here for worship every Sunday at 10 a.m. Find out more at huntersvillelc.com. Thank you for joining us today. He discovered that there was a, a story behind a story, and it was found on, on this. This is called the, the Codex Nitriensis. And for the first thousand years of, of its life, it spent its time at a monastery in the Nitrian Desert, which is in, in northern Egypt. And at first glance, this document, it, uh, I mean, obviously you can't read it, it's in Syriac. I don't think anybody here knows Syriac, do they? It was a, it's a Syriac treatise of, uh, of Servanus. And Servanus was uh, one of the patriarchs of the church in Antioch. They thought this was it. In uh, 1847, this, this document, along with about 500 others that had lived in this monastery, came to the British, li- came to the British Library. And a couple years later, in 1854, one of the leading biblical scholars in the 19th century, a man by the name of Tischendorf, was given permission to, to look at and to translate this Syriac treaty. But what he found, well, upon closer examination, would turn his world upside down. Because when he, when he closely looked at this, at this document, uh, a document that more closely resembles this, what he found was that there was some writing underneath the Syriac treaty. And it wasn't written in Syriac, it was, it was written in Greek, which very much puzzled him. We see what would happen in, in ancient times. Uh, parchment was, a very, was a, a very rare commodity, and it would become even rarer when times were hard. And so what scribes would do is they would take a piece of parchment like this, a par- piece of parchment that they deemed unnecessary, the writing on it unimportant, and they were able to scrape off or to wash off the ink and then use it for whatever purpose they wanted to after. And what this would do would leave behind a faint outline of the, of the old ink, ink that was barely visible and almost totally forgotten. Turns out the document that Tischendorf was looking at was far older than anyone really expected. In fact, three centuries older. And the letters that he was seeing on here, here's a better, here's a better view of it. The letters that he was seeing on here, these Greek letters, they're from the Gospel of Luke. This document that originally contained Luke's Gospel in almost all of its entirety. Tischendorf, he, he discovered a story beneath the story, the story behind the story, quite literally. Whenever we read or we watch or we listen to a story, we can, sense, we can sense it, don't we? The fact that there's probably a story behind a story, that there's something going on behind the scenes you haven't really been clued into yet, but that is very important. Uh, a story of details and, and important figures and characters that all shape the story that you're watching and you're looking at right now. It's a story that's begging to be uncovered, a story that, that once you do uncover it, it brings a whole new meaning and light to whatever it is you're currently reading or watching or listening to. The story behind the story is sometimes just as important as the story itself. This is one of the most fascinating things I think about, about getting to meet people like all of you, is listening to your stories. Every single one of you has a story. It's a story that's very unique because when you look around, there are really no two stories that are exactly alike. You all have a story that that makes up who you are. You all have a story that that tells how you got to the place where you were. You all have a story that tells how you fell into the career that you're in currently. This is what I would call the story behind the story because when I first meet you guys, I see what's on the surface. I see where you work. I see your family. I see how you act with me and how you interact with others. But but the longer I get to know you, I, I uncover the story behind the story. And sometimes the story behind the story is just as important as what I see on the surface. This is true of Scripture, too. Often, like I was talking about in, our, in the children's sermon today, we're often bound by, by chapters and verse numbers. And do you understand what I mean by that when I say that? 
Think back to your, the last personal devotion that you did. If you're anything like me, you pick out a chapter from Scripture and you say, I'm going to read Matthew chapter 3. You read it and you close the book and then you're done for the day. Or even in, think about it in the context of worship this morning, how we're looking at seven verses from Matthew chapter 3, or, or five verses from Matthew 3, seven verses from Isaiah chapter 42. And there's nothing wrong with that. In fact, it's very good sometimes to take a very focused, concerted look at a, at a portion of Scripture and dig deeply into it. But there's a, a tendency for us when we, when we just look at these small snippets, there's a tendency for us to only look at the surface story and forget that there's probably a story behind the story. Because scripture, it's not just a bunch of randomly pieced together details and stories. No, scripture is one interconnected narrative that tells a singular story. A story about how God's Messiah would save you from your sins. When you, when you understand that, when you understand that, that there are stories behind whatever story you're looking at in scripture, it brings everything you're reading into a whole new light. Because God, when he instructed and inspired the prophets to write, he didn't do so willy-nilly. He didn't tell them to to just write random details. No, he's oddly specific. And when God breaks through and breaks through time and space and interacts with all of humanity, he doesn't do so in, in a bunch of randomness. He does it at the right time in the right place because there's no such thing as random or unimportant with God. In Scripture, there's always a story behind the story, and that's, that's what we're going to find in Matthew's account of Jesus' baptism today. And when you look at the baptism of Jesus, you there, it's, it's one of those accounts that has raised questions throughout the centuries. One of those accounts that causes people to ask, what's the point of all this? Why are we looking at Jesus' baptism? Why did Jesus even need to be baptized if he was the perfect sinless son of God, right? And you couple all of these questions with the fact that Matthew only spends 100 words. That's it. 100 Greek words on this incredibly pivotal moment in the ministry of Jesus. Now you compare this to other accounts like the transfiguration or, or the, the death and resurrection of Jesus this baptism of Jesus is kind of small potatoes. But no matter whether Matthew wrote a hundred words or whether he wrote a thousand words about something, this baptism of Jesus, it's incredibly important because for Matthew, often the story behind the story is just as important as the very thing he's telling you about. And you see this in, in, in the way in which he writes. You know, Matthew, the, the tax collector, the Jewish tax collector turned disciple, he has a specific audience for his gospel. Do you, guys, do you guys know this, that each gospel writer has kind of a specific audience in mind? Matthew's audience is primarily the Jews, a people who knew God's Old Testament knowledge or had God's Old Testament knowledge. And so in Matthew's writing, what you often come across is Matthew will just reference a detail. He'll talk about the Jordan River, or he'll talk about uh, something that the Old Testament Jews would have understood, and then he just moves on because he expects them to know the story behind the story. But when you and I as 21st century Bible-believing Christians come across these details, we often wish that Matthew would write more, don't we? We wish that he would clue us in as to why he includes this specific detail. Because we don't have nearly the depth of Old Testament knowledge like these Jews did. But when that happens, when you wish that, when you wish that Matthew would give us more, that God would give us more, it's important to do two things. One, to remember that God has revealed everything necessary for us to know about a specific thing. And also, too, that just because Matthew doesn't talk about a specific detail in depth doesn't mean that it's not talked about elsewhere in Scripture. That there are often stories behind the story. And when you explore those stories, you plumb those depths of God's Word, and you look at the details and the characters and the fascination behind them, it, it brings everything that you're reading, that surface story, it brings it to a whole new light. 
This is true of Jesus' baptism. Jesus' baptism, it starts with Jesus coming down from Galilee to the banks of the Jordan River. Again, that seems like kind of a random detail, one that you would usually just gloss over because you don't think it's all that important to the story. But when you read through all of Scripture, you realize how huge on geography God is. Everything happens at a specific place at a specific time, that God is spatially specific. And this is true of the Jordan River. And there's a story behind the story with the Jordan River. The Jordan River, it, had a, it played a very important part in the, in the history of Israel. The Jordan River served as a threshold for God's Old Testament people, Israel. It was a threshold from which they left their, their past behind and stepped forward into a new and brighter future. It was the threshold for, for the promised land. You see, for after, after God freed the Israelites from the, from the slavery in Egypt, they wandered through the desert for 40 years. And after those 40 years, they finally came to this threshold for the promised land, the land that God said was going to be their home, the land flowing with milk and honey, and walking before them, walking before them in the, into the Jordan River were a class of priests called the Levites, carrying the Ark of the Covenant. And when those priests waded into the river, the waters stopped, and Israel was allowed to cross over on dry ground just like they were when they came into the Red Sea. This threshold, the Jordan River, it was a place where they left the killing wilderness behind with old Moses, and they walked into the vivifying new land with their new leader, Joshua. It's the story behind the story, because a, thousand year, or a couple thousand years later, Jesus is standing on the banks of that very same river, but this time not to lead somebody, not to lead a group of people into a physical promised land, but for a completely different purpose, to be baptized. And standing before Jesus on the banks of the Jordan River is not a whole class of priests, the Levites carrying the Ark of the Covenant. No, there's just one man, one man ministering. His name's John the Baptist. Now, John the Baptist, he's a, he's a bit of an oddity, isn't he? He lives out in the, the middle of the Judean barren wasteland of a desert. He, he wears a garment made of camel hair clothing. He eats a diet of, of locusts and wild honey. He's the kind of guy, even in Jesus' day, as you'd watch him walk by, coming down the road at you, you'd kind of run to the other side of the street because he's just that weird and just that odd. Right, this was John, and even, even uh, odder than his appearance and his diet was the place where he was carrying out ministry. Because as one of God's prophets, you would expect him to be where? To be in the temple, which is in Jerusalem. This is the place where most of Jewish religious life happened. But where's John? He's out in the middle of the desert. Yeah, John's a bit of an oddity. But that's just the, the surface story. And you find out when you read through the rest of Scripture that there's a story behind the story with John. Um, Mid-700s BC, God inspired the prophet Isaiah to write this. Step out of the way so everybody can hopefully see. A voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord. Make straight in the wilderness a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low. The rough ground shall become level, the rugged places made plain, and the glory of the Lord will be revealed, and all mankind together will see it. Isaiah chapter 40. This is the story behind John's story. John was called by God to be the one to prepare the way for the Lord, to be the one to prepare people's hearts for the coming of the Lord so that they would be able to see his glory. And the way in which he did this was by preaching a message of repentance out in the middle of the desert, a message that said, turn away from your sin, Israel. Turn away from your unbelief and turn back to God, the very God who chose you to be his own, the very God who, who delivered you and protected you from all of your enemies, who has provided for you and maintained a remnant among you so that God's chosen Messiah could come. And soon, very soon, you will see this Messiah appear. You will see the glory of the Lord. 
And as John was preaching that message of, of repentance for the forgiveness of sins, people from Jerusalem and all over Judea and the whole region of the Jordan came and confessed their sins and were baptized. John's calling from God was to be the one to prepare the way for the Lord. But when the Lord actually comes, when Jesus comes, do you remember what John does? He tries to deter him. He says, Jesus, I need to be baptized by you, but do you come to me? You see, John, he understood a, a fundamental truth about the Messiah of God, about Jesus, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, that he was sinless, and this is the way it had to be. He had no need for a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins because he himself was sinless. He had no need to have a baptism that was performed by especially a sinful man like John. But Jesus, the, the word of God made flesh, understood that there was a, a story behind the story. See, what he tells John is that it's proper. It's fitting for us to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. Did you catch that when we, when we read through it earlier, when I just said it now? Jesus doesn't say it's fitting for me to fulfill all righteousness. He doesn't say it's, it's fitting for you, John the Baptist, to fulfill all righteousness. It's fitting for us, plural, you and me, John, to do this, to fulfill all righteousness. And even if John didn't understand everything that was going on in that moment, Jesus did. Jesus understood that there was a, a purpose for baptism. And it's a purpose that's laid out in Isaiah chapter 42, which, is, which was our first reading for this morning. It's the story behind the story. Look at what Jesus, or look at what God says to the prophet Isaiah. Here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will bring justice to the nations. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light to the Gentiles. This is the story behind the story. Jesus knew that it was necessary for both of these men for this to carry out his baptism to, fu to fulfill this prophecy, for Jesus to be anointed by the Holy Spirit, for him to begin his work, to be a covenant for his people, for all people, for the forgiveness of sins. After, John, after Jesus explains this, John consents and baptizes Jesus because it was necessary for both of them. John came to prepare the way, prepare the way for the one who is the way, the truth, and the life. John needed to be there to baptize. Jesus needed to be there to be baptized. And John consents. He baptizes Jesus, and as soon as he is baptized, he comes up out of the Jordan River. All of these details, and the characters, and the location, the story itself and the story behind the story, it's all woven together into this narrative that tells you a story that's, well, it's about all of you. Because you all have a story. You all have a narrative about your life, things that make you uniquely you, and there are no two stories that are exactly alike. But no matter how different our stories look on the surface, there is one thing that remains the same. And it's a story that I never have to Oh, I never have to uncover a narrative I never have to search for in your life, uh, a story you never have to reveal to me because it's a story that I know is true. And I know it's true because it's my story, as well as all of yours, the story of all humanity. It's the story of our past. It's the story behind what you see on the surface. You see, because thanks to our, our first parents, Adam and Eve, and their disobedience in the Garden of Eden, you and I are born into this world completely broken. We're born into this world, into the, the barren wasteland of death. We're surrounded by the insurmountable mountains of our sin. 
And the only, way, only place that this desert leads to is, is down a path of death. There's no happy ending for this story. There's no, there's no rewriting this story for yourself. And when you understand that this is the story behind your story, that this is the past that you and I all share together, then it makes what happened at Jesus' baptism that much more meaningful, meaningful for you. You see, because when Jesus showed up on the, the banks of the Jordan River, he didn't do so to, to lead people into a physical promised land. He did so to lead you out of the barren wasteland of your sinful past, to lead you out of the, the desert of your death and lead you into the promised kingdom of his Father, the land flowing with the mercy of the, the milk of God's mercy and the honey of life. When Jesus waded into the waters of that Jordan River, he, John was right. He didn't need to be baptized. Jesus was perfect. He was sinless. He was holy. He was righteous. He had no need for a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. He had no need to be there at all. But he did it for you. He did it because he knew that you needed it. When Jesus walked and waded into those waters of the Jordan River, he, he waded into the muck and the mire of all of your sinfulness. All of the agony and the pain, the guilt and the, the distraughtment that your sin causes. When Jesus stepped into that river, he didn't just step into your sin. He stepped under the wrath of God. The wrath of God that's meant for your sin. The punishment of death that your sin deserves. He didn't do this because he was, he was forced to do it. He didn't do it because he had some odd sense of obligation to you. Jesus waded into the waters of that Jordan River because he loved you. Because... He loved you. Jesus' baptism, it's the, the beginning of his public ministry. And it's on this day that God announces for the whole world to see that he is making good on the very first promise that he made to our, to our first parents, to Adam and Eve. It's the story behind the story. It's the story that binds all of this together. It's the promise that I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. This is what is going on in the baptism of Jesus. It's God fulfilling this promise for each and every one of you. And do you know how he announces it? He tears open heaven. He breaks through space and time. And God the Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove. And God the Father's voice booms from heaven. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. This is the day Jesus' public ministry began. Jesus' baptism, it marks a new beginning for Jesus and it really, it, it marks a new beginning for all of you. Because when Jesus came up out of the waters after being baptized, he set his eyes on a singular goal, to walk to the cross, the very place where he would pay for all of your sins, where he would defeat Satan once for all, where he would crush death with death itself. And now because of this, because Jesus waded into those waters and to be your substitute, because he walked in your shoes, because he paid the price that your sins deserve. Now God speaks over every one of your hearts. This is my son. This is my daughter whom I love. With you, I am well pleased. There's always a story behind the story. And lingering just beneath the surface of, of Matthew's hundred words about Jesus' baptism. The story all about you. A story about how God stepped in your place. A story about how God wiped your slate clean. A story about how God has rewritten your story. Your future. Your eternity. What a beautiful story that is. Amen.